Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. And today we welcome back Deirdre Fay. We are in the midst of a crisis here in America and throughout the world with COVID-19. And I wanted to talk to Deirdre about how to manage our triggers. Deirdre is a licensed clinical social worker and the author of two books. She's also working on a third. And one of the books is a textbook that is used worldwide to help people with trauma and attachment to issues live in their own skin. She's also the co-author on a third book that has won awards for treating attachment disturbances. And she's currently working on the next book called Your Love Compass, Seven Steps to Inner Security and Solid Relationships. Deirdre lived for six and a half years in a yoga ashram where she learned the profound practices of meditation and body presence. She's been working with individuals and groups for 35 years and helps them to have solid, secure, satisfying relationships with themselves and those they love. Now, during the episode, we discuss the current COVID-19 crisis and managing our emotions through it. We talk about how anxiety and fear of the unknown and the need to control can become triggers. We reframe what a trigger is and what it can actually do for you if you let it. How to recognize a trigger and the different types of triggers or states. We discuss the crisis in the American healthcare system, and Deirdre actually walks me through one of my triggers around this. We spend time talking about how you, our listeners, can help the people on the front lines of this healthcare crisis right here, right now. We discuss the role belief plays in becoming our full selves, and we also define adulting. Now, stay to the end where Deirdre will walk us through her waterfall breath so that you can let go of some of your stress today. At the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you are always the first to know when each episode is released. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for all of the five-star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review the podcast. This helps more women find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause. No one should have to go through it alone. We also have created a free training for podcast listeners to help you go from mental misery, you know, those hot, sweaty, sleepless nights, irritable, low mood, feeling like an alien has beamed down and taken control of your body, piling on the weight and looking pregnant, or feeling like managing your menopause is a full-time job, to mental mate, not bothered by symptoms, happy and content with life, even dropping the weight and fitting into your pre-menopause clothes, among other things. To access the free video training, go to learn.menopausemovement.com forward slash start. And thanks for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get to Deirdre. All right, Deirdre, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast again. Always great happy to be to, with you, Michelle. Happy to have you back. So, all right, so the last time we talked, we talked about, you know, relationships and self-discovery and living an untriggered life. And we find ourselves in the circumstance of physical distance. And we kind of really need to pay attention now. I think it's important being, being cooped up with people that we love, but don't usually see all the time. 
And, you know, what I wanted to have you come back and talk about is, you know, what are some coping strategies for those of us who can't leave, you know, and maybe just, just give us some, give us some help because, you know, <laughs> people so who are you're saying that, Michelle, because the truth <laughs> is we can't leave our own physical presence anyway, right? <laughs> we're all stuck inside of ourselves. We are, we are, but we're used to being in ourselves. We're not used to being in, you know, it, having to share a house with other people. And, you know, it, uh, Chris Mann, I think his name is, he did a parody of Adele's oh, Hello. <laughs> and so I'm watching it, you know, and he's like, hello from Corona life, you know, and he's licking the, licking know, the win window, trying to get out, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and so yeah. it's so funny because I'll take my dogs out walking and I'll, you know, talk to people from, you know, across the way. I mean, it, it's almost like we're having more interaction when we're out we're starting to talk to each other more because we're so stuck inside, but it has to be from really far away. Right. And so, I'm, I mean, I live in rural, no, it's not rural, but, you know, I'm in suburban New York, about an hour north of the city. It's current today. We're recording this on the 30th of March, and we're just seeing an increase, increase, increase. The, you know, healthcare system is starting to get a little bit overwhelmed. I had to go in yesterday to, to help, and it was the first time I'd had to see it firsthand. I think that we can talk about coping strategies, not only for people who are stuck at home with their loved ones, who they really still love, they may have difficulty ferreting out intentions, you know, because it's easy to have problems with communication when we don't look that, you know, the best intentions are always meant anyway, right? But then there's also the healthcare workers like me, and I'm not you know, I go in when I have to, try not to go in, but yesterday was the first time I'd seen, and I've never seen so many sick people, and then just walking in and not seeing people's faces in the hospital, everybody covered up from head to toe. And, you know, I was doing invasive procedures, and so I was wearing two gowns, four pairs of gloves, two different masks, my glasses, and goggles I could barely see through, and uh, two hats on my head. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, who knows if that's going to be enough and who knows if I'm going to get sick now and, you know, can I self-isolate? No, I mean, I, I, I stay home as much as I can. So, so I guess the questions are, how do we avoid our triggers in, you know, in a closed space? You how can. do we, how do we really pay attention? Okay. Then how do we pay attention to our triggers in a closed space? That's number one. And number two is how do we support the healthcare workers who are on the front lines and are getting burned out? Oh, that is so important. Well, let's see where, where we can start. Let's start just by even noticing where we are right now. Cause what I see from people and myself is despite how much we're doing, we get, we're influxed by this viral contagion of anxiety and fear and the unknown. We don't know mm -hmm. what's happening. And so our body is holding that. So first and foremost, I think it's so important to let go of stress. And we have, we know that the longer we hold the exhale, the smoother the exhale is, the more we engage the parasympathetic. But what I've also seen beforehand is that people just need help, like taking a breath in and letting it go. So I started calling it the waterfall breath, breathing in. And at the top of the inhalation, just like let it go and just let it flow out. Let it just not try to control it. Just let the breath fall out. And then there's a natural inclination to inhale again. So that breath of breathing in, just letting go like sighing 
or like the movement of water over the cliff. It's just an important way of letting go, letting go. Because right now, part of what's happening is we're trying to control our lives and our bodies because it's stressful. And yet what we need to do is be able to be able to access our own inner wisdom, our own guidance. And that comes from letting go of the stress, creating a tiny bit of room, like a wedge in our experience so that we can let something else come through, let our own knowing come through. So that's key, practicing simple ways of letting go. And then, you know, I think it's also really helpful, at least for somebody like me who's been trained in the yogic psychology for decades now, is that there's an idea that what's moving through our triggers are meant to help us awaken and help us take better care of ourselves. Like the fact that we're triggered is not a bad thing. You know, it's, it's just normal. We are going to get triggered. And if we take the idea that our triggers are actually something that are going to help us grow, develop, and flourish, it's a whole different mindset. So rather than being freaked out about our anxiety or overwhelm, uncertainty, whatever, it's like, okay, this is the moment. This is the moment. What is meant to come out of this? Who do I want to be in this circumstance? And that's key. Who do I want to be? Well, yeah, that's something I say a lot. And we teach that, you know, in, in uh, you know, the Minnowmates really do start looking at, they start looking at their, their beingness through the course. And it takes some time to get there. And so before we start talking about who we're going to be, you know, maybe, maybe we should talk, to, talk about how, how to recognize when we're triggered because not everybody understands that. I mean, you know, we understand that we have a blow up, you know, and it happened on Saturday and Val and I had like this weird like fight. You know, she dropped something on the floor and I'm easily started and I jump and I say, Jesus. And then she's like, <laughs> she's like, wow, I'm sorry. And I'm like, don't yell at me. And, you know, and so, <laughs> right. and then, and then it just kind of snowballs. Right. And so how do we catch that when it's, when it happens and get ourselves to the point where we can say, Oh, I'm being triggered. Oh, I need to take a deep breath. Oh, I need to do this. Let me draw a little, little drawing. It's, I love your drawings. Oh, well, they seem to help. So that's, what's important. So one of the ways we now look at triggers is that are we inside what we call the window of tolerance? That's Ken Siegel's words. And when we are like in a normal everyday life, we're just kind of cruising through and life is fine. You know, we have a coherent breathing, coherent uh, system inside. Everything is moving well. But what happens is when we get triggered, we can either be here hyper aroused or we can be hypo-aroused, shut down. These are the two main. There's also freeze. But what we can begin to see is, when am I holding my breath? When am I tightening? When are my muscles tight? When am I ruminating? We start looking at what are my thoughts? What are my feelings? What are the sensations in my body? If I'm up here, how do I slowly bring myself back into here? And if I'm shut down because it's too overwhelming, how do I begin to move my way back in here? And there's simple body movements we can do. Like if we're hypo aroused, shut down, it's like, what's it like to just begin to move, like the spine just beginning to undulate a little, or moving your hands like in the air, or imagining you're in the water, and you know how there's the resistance of the water to your hand. You just start enjoying those simple movements. That's one way 
to bring ourselves back gently into this. If we're hyper aroused, we might need to do some grounding. We might need to feel, for, for me and the people I work with, it tends to be in the spine or in the heart or the belly. In the old days, we used to talk about grounding into the feet, but that for many people is really far away from them. So, but here doing things like squats, you know, that just get your energy down instead of up and out. Those are simple ways to get yourself back into the moment. And those are things that we can do at any moment when we're activated. You know, you just feel yourself starting to get like aroused or frightened. Then you just like take a moment, just like, you know, ground a little in your, in your pelvis down, feel your hands on your belly, hands on your heart, whatever might be the, the ways. So I find it very interesting that you talk about getting shut down because I, I came back from the hospital yesterday and while I was there, I was like, okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? And then I left and I came home and I just, I could do nothing but watch TV and right. eat and eat. And I ate things I don't normally eat. I ate a bowl of pasta. I ate, you know, like cauliflower pizza. I ate garlic nuts. I mean, I just ate, I ate things that, you know, like I'm, and I don't do that. I don't usually eat my feelings. And, and so in terms of, you know, being shut down, are you saying something simple like going for a walk or taking the dogs out or something like that? Could be rolling on the ground and just could be getting on, you know, an exercise machine. It could be, what do we call those things with the thing? The rope, but uh, jumping, jump, jump rope, jumping jacks, and jump uh, rope all <laughs> anything that moves energy. Right? Okay, but, all when, right. but what happens is when we're in that state, the last thing we want to do yeah, is like I couldn't everything. I canceled my exercise. I was supposed to do a bike workout, and I, I ended up doing it this afternoon. Uh, but I, I mean, I even sent my coach a text. I said, I, I can't, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't even think. I mean, right. this is, this is, this is overwhelming. It's, it's right. overwhelming because one of the reasons, and I, I, I had a Facebook live that I spoke about this, we're used to having an algorithm. We're doctors. And so, you know, this happens and then we follow this protocol and this happens and that, that follow that protocol. And this disease, this is, is upending everything we know because right. we don't, we don't know and we're not able to treat it. And all we want to do is make people better. You know, and at the same time, you know, in the beginning of the epidemic, you know, in in America, when when it really started, we had hospital administrators telling us that we couldn't wear our own masks into the hospital and, you know, telling us that, that, you know, it, it scared the patients, you know, and there was no concern for the human life of the people who are giving care. And so we're, we're really in a place where. Uh, you know, if you're a doctor and listening to this, or if you're a nurse practitioner or somebody who is on the front lines of healthcare, now is the time to take it back. Now is the time for American healthcare to get taken back by the people who provide it. You know, 73% of the spending in American healthcare has gone to administrative bloat. <laughs> so it's not that, you know, it's the insurance companies like to say that it's the, the doctors are, are charging too much and the hospitals are charging too much. And it's not that. It is administrative bloat. It is health insurers who call any payment a medical loss. It is health insurers who are causing, you know, who are for profit and are all about bonuses on Wall Street. So, I mean, I could, I could go on. 
I won't. I won't. Well, it's important, and it's not just here in the U.S. <clears throat> I hear the same thing in the U.K. with their health system. Right, but the health system in the U.K. at least they they pay taxes for that. True. And you know, and the, so it's it's a different situation where I don't know about the administrative, you know, administration of it, and and uh, and it's socialized. So you know, we have a very different system here, and you know, I don't know enough about the NHS to to actually speak to it. But what I can say is that it's working for for the people there. So you know, it, it works, and. Uh, I'm not one, I mean, I'm a business person. I've run a surgical practice for 15 years. You know, I'm not one to say that we should have socialized medicine. Um, I, I don't have the answer. But what I do know is that it's time for the leaders, uh, business leaders who are doctors to rise up and take, take control. Whether it'll happen is another story. And well, people like you are speaking out. Other doctors are, and that's important. We need the scientific information. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just... You know, and, and then I'm seeing, I'm seeing reports that health insurance prices may go up by 40% because of corona. So imagine, you know, as me as a small business owner and health insurance for my employees, the, the prices are set by the state. They're going to just completely price me out of the market. I mean, if I had to pay an extra 40, 50% for that, I, I wouldn't be able to offer that for my employees anymore. So it's real. You know, there's, I mean... All of the bonuses that have been paid over, you know, all of these years by United Healthcare, which is publicly traded, and, you know, the others that don't want to pay us, you know, we have to, I mean, for anybody who's listening, just, just in America, let me just talk about the business for one second. I didn't know we were going to go here, but the business of medicine in America is that we provide a service, okay, and you're paying your insurance company to pay us back, to pay us. But we don't get paid for three months. So the service is provided at the, at the place of, you know, when, when you're sick or when you go for your well visit or whatever. And then, the, and then we submit billing to the insurance company on your behalf. And then the insurance company tries not to pay us. And I'm still getting paid on claims from 2015. All right. So just, I just want people to understand that the insurance companies exist to not pay your claims. And so the, this is why the system is so broken. I guess that's a trigger for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> rightfully so. Yeah. Too, you know. Yeah. But here's, here's one of the things where we all have to gain an awareness is when we feel ourselves starting to spin into a trigger is to notice the reaction in our voice, in our body, in our response. Not like, it, not like we shouldn't be reactive, not like we shouldn't get triggered, but just notice it so that we can then be like, oh, there it is, I'm triggered. That little moment when we're like, oh, I got it. <sighs> yeah. 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 Oh yeah. my gosh. Right. Like you just did. I guess I'm really triggered about this. Right. And then once we have that moment of awareness, we can help start lowering the arousal so that we can be in a more steady state. And we need to have our steady states right now so that we can help other people. Right. Need to. Otherwise, we're going to be doomed. So what is a steady state? Let's talk about steady state. That's the one in the middle, right? Right. Where we're not triggered and we're just, we're going with the flow. And in the yoga tradition, what would you call that? I mean, is that, is there something yogic about that untriggered state? No, I don't know that there is a particular word. You know, we're letting, we're letting our, our, the prana move through us without inhibition. 
Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, we talk about the modifications of the mind. We're stilling the modification of the mind, which doesn't mean that they're flatlined. It just means that they're able to move through without being inhibited or, or hitting upon something. Our triggers are what get hit upon. Like, I'm still getting paid for 25 claims in 2015. Like, that's <laughs> intense. 2015, this is 20, 2020. That's a long yeah. time. So, of course, there's a trigger around it. But what you begin to notice, oh, there it is. And then you let it move. In yoga, we would say, just let that trigger be ground down rather than acting out of it. The difference, that's the difference between reacting versus responding. So hard for all of us. Yeah, that's, that's really you know good. What? We are going to react. And then how do we be compassionate for ourselves and repair it with somebody else? Like you talked about with you and Val, you just had a little contretemps the other night it's like when those things happen we have to recognize oh my gosh just something just blow it there go back to the relationship and say you know i just realized how triggered i am i don't mean to be this way but i am this way and that we keep learning about ourselves and in learning about ourselves we learn how to change our reactivity cycle oh i love that you know and in the book the untethered soul by michael singer he talks about just staying open and, you know, as I've studied that book more and more, I get angry sometimes when I, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a trigger, <laughs> but because he says, just keep your heart open. And it's, he says that, but he doesn't really give you any practical guides on how to right. keep your heart open. And so just let it flow through you. And it's all this, you know, like, oh, you know, if you, if you just stay open, then, you know, let yourself feel, and then you're going to have, you know, you're going to have this great life. And <sighs> Well, you I think it's, I'd say a great life. I mean, Mickey well, used to come to the ashram when I lived there in the 80s and 90s, and he would teach us, and it was profound teachings then. It still is now. But what he's saying is you let that, that force, that prana coming through you, and you let it activate all the cockishness that's going on in your life, and you, you let it like... <laughs> so that then you're free. That The freedom is the sense of more spaciousness. It's not necessarily a better life, but we all have to go through that, that craziness. Right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So, so now that we've like talked about, you know, recognizing triggers and doing the waterfall breath, what can we do for, for our, our colleagues, our friends who are in healthcare? How can we help them other than by, you know, staying home? And, you know, not touching our faces and, you know, being careful when we go out six feet away, all those things that they're telling us that, it, you know, is going to continue and probably a lot longer than April 30th. So what, because what, what I anticipate, and, and I hope I'm wrong. I really, I really do. I hope I'm wrong. But, you know, Italy, we're two weeks behind Italy and Italy got, you know, overwhelmed and they're still, you know, seeing a lot of cases. So in our and, and I'm in New York, and so New York is the epicenter for the U.S., but that's not to say that it's not going to be exactly the same in California when, you know, when, when we start to see how widespread this really is, right? So when the healthcare system is that overwhelmed, and, and I have a, today, I got a text from a colleague who is a gynoc, okay? So she does, she does gynecologic oncologic surgery. So for female organs that have cancer, she's the surgeon. She's managing vents. She's, she's doing ICU care. And so if, if there was a meme that was, 
you know, floating around the internet, you know, stay the fuck home or else you're going to have a, a, a GYN managing your event. Well, that's happening now. That's happening now. The hospital where she works has 50 vents. They're full. They can't have any more. And she's doing ICU shifts. How do we support her? How do we support, you know, the, the nurses who are doing double shifts, the, the, the pharmacy techs who are dropping off the drugs? The, you know, I mean, these are people who are not trained psychologically to be at war. Right. This is war. All right. So what's happening in you as you're talking about it? I, I, I mean, I had this, you know, I get an overwhelming sense of sadness and futility and fear. I mean, there's, those are the things that, that, that come up for me. It, and I just, I mean, I, I just sat with it for so long after I got home. And now, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's just like all these, you know, there's more and more and more and more and more sick people coming. And when we run out of vents, people were going to die. Well, there's simple little things that we can do. I mean, we cannot underestimate how staying calm and present and clear and calm inside of ourselves can help a ripple effect around us. That's one thing. So our self-care is important. But there are other simple things that we can do. We can take out our cards that many of us have been stockpiling for years and just write one to our doctor, send it to the hospital. Simple note of appreciation. We know how much gratitude not only helps the person we're sending the gratitude, but how much it's helping us. So if we can, you know, take a moment, just a simple moment and write a thank you note, express our gratitude, name the doctor by name, the people that we know, the staff people, just send it to the hospital, send it to wherever. It's a way of just extending that flow of compassion. I love that. I I mean, that's such a great, you know, the lost art of letter writing. Right. Right. So you can always send an email to your doctor, but I'm sure your doctor would be much more appreciative of a card, you know, especially now when people can't even come to the doctor. They're the most, you know, most people have switched to virtual visits, much like this meeting that we're doing right now, you know, but you can be seen by a doctor. Uh, It's just a matter of, you know, creating the appointment. So, so if you do have cards just lying around, you know, or maybe a piece of paper, Right, just fold you can just it. just write it down with your hand to say thank you so much for all you're doing and send that to your doctor. I, I think that really would go a long way to help morale. Morale is it's not good. I, I mean, oh, well, people how are angry, right? Of course, of course, they should be. But then it's channeling that anger. You know, we're talking about how can we support those who are in it, but those people who are in it also is about channeling all that power and that energy and not getting stuck in a trap because right. what happens is. That can be just as destructive. All that energy comes up as anger and it starts circulating as anger. It gets more and more reactive. And then we're not clear headed. We're not present. We're not, you know, on one hand, we think the anger is going to protect us, but it doesn't really. It doesn't. We know that being present in our own mindfulness and our own heart does keep us clear for the next step. Yeah. Wow. I, I just, you know, it, it's so important to, to just not get stuck. And it's so easy to just get stuck. Yes. And that's, I think, you know, the hardest part. Now, what about, I mean, you know, we've heard, I've heard on that, that there's a lot of women, you know, that are, that are in abusive relationships that they can't get out of right now. Have you had any experience yes. with that? Yeah. And that is just killer bad. You know, I know a lot of the people who are working on the front lines and domestic violence and the shelters are full 
And, you know, it's a real, real problem. But there's a way, you know, what I, what I teach people is that you have to be able to become aware of your pattern. The reason why you're in this relationship is because of the pattern that brought you there. You know, in attachment theory, John Bowlby talked about it, it's the internal working model. I think of it as like a perceptual lens that shapes our experience. So our key thing is if you're in that situation and you are feeling trapped, is to begin to look at that trap thing. And then instead of staying in that trap cycle, what would you rather have? What would you rather have? And this is the hardest thing for any of us because we don't know it. Mm-hmm. We don't, if we don't know what it is, we don't know how to have it. We call this experiential blindness. We're only used to experiencing the difficulty or the old pattern. So we literally have to train our body to feel and experience something different. And that. that means keeping ourselves calmer, keeping ourselves steadier. I do whole practices where people draw out the old pattern, the thoughts that they have in the old pattern, the feelings, just, just shapes and colors of what it looks like. Put it on one sheet of paper, and then you put on another sheet of paper, what would you rather have? And this is hard. Like I said, you're literally building a new experience for yourself that you don't have access to. If you don't want this, what do you want? And people say, I don't know. I can't imagine it. But you can. The power of imagination is so incredible. And we know from all the peak performance research that people can actually change their experience, literally body, mind, and heart, by reimagining it. But to take that and vector in a new direction is what's complicated and difficult for people. You do it well, slowly and you do it steadily. I think that there is a role to discuss belief here. There is, there's an opportunity to discuss belief. One of the things that, that we discover through, you know, the Minimates discover this as they go through the program and leave their mental misery behind That's and become, become Minimates is that our thoughts create a reality, right? Right. And oftentimes the beliefs that we have are shaped by, you know, our experiences as children, for example. And so what we think is true. It's all, that's the internal model that comes from. Right. So what we think is true may not be true. But it's it's imprinted in us. Right. We create boxes around this belief. And so the the question is, how do we break down those walls? And and one of the best examples I have of this in my own life is the fact that I'm a doctor because, and I've told this story before, I'll briefly tell it again. When I was five years old, and, and I recently found this out maybe, you know, eight months ago or something. So I had two uncles who were doctors, and my mom made a statement. They're doctors, they're rich. They're doctors, they're rich. And my five-year-old brain didn't have the experience to understand that my mom was mad my dad didn't make enough money for her. And I decided that the only way I was going to make money was to be a doctor. And so what did I do? I studied music. I studied, you know, English, which, which I love, right? I love writing. I love music. I, I was a singer. But I took a math class. I took a trig class. And I, I scored it. And I said, oh, I'm not so dumb. I'm going to be a doctor. And my subconscious mind had a job from five years old to get me to become a doctor. And I entered medical school at age 31. And I graduated my residency at age 40 because I had to be a doctor to make money. 
So the moral of the story is that our subconscious mind is super powerful and the beliefs that, we, that are imprinted on us, as you say, are the beliefs that we create as children of what we, what we know to be true, all of it is malleable. And, you know, unless it's true 100% of the time, it's a story. So, well, I, I want to be cautious there. It's not all malleable, but about what, what it can be is that we can shift and change. Like somebody who doesn't have your intelligence can't, uh, for whatever reason, understand math, could not be doing what you're doing. So, well, it, perhaps. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying there, uh, but the, the point I'm trying to make isn't really about, you know, whether I'm a doctor because of a story or whether anybody could become a doctor, which I think anybody could because it's not that hard. But, but the bigger issue here is to have people start to look at the things that they believe that are 100% true. Right. Because unless it's true 100% of the time, it's, it's not real. The, the, and my favorite example is gravity. Always always falls at 9.8 meters per second squared, depending on where you are on the earth, obviously based on the magnetic field. However, gravity will always suck. Okay. That's not going to change. So that's a true law, right? There's not a whole lot of other things that are absolutely true 100% of the time. And that's, that's where I think. Well, where I, I maybe frame it as that we are designed to be our best selves. Okay. And that we are designed to contribute and participate fully in the world. And the early imprinting, the beliefs that we form out of our early years are what um, shift that capacity to be our full selves and limit us. And our task as adults is to be able to clear that limitation. The child's developmental task is to be able to absorb information from the outside and build a self inside. But our task as an adult is totally different is not to be not to live out of those old experiences but to say okay i choose x i choose to be my full self in whatever way that shows up and so again it's a it's a vectoring issue how do you change the course instead of being caught in what can often be a victimized cycle for people well this is great because you just defined adulting Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's so funny because I see Facebook posts from my millennial friends who, you know, will say adulting at its finest and they're doing their laundry or they're doing, you know, make, paying their bills or whatever. And adulting is like examining your beliefs. I mean, that, that you know, at, at its core, right? And, and is it, does this belief serve me? And is it helping me to become my best self? I mean, that's, I think, you know, if you want to define adulting, that might actually be it. There you go. You know, so I, I kind of love that. And it's, it's taken me, you know, this long to look at my beliefs. And, you know, in the past 18 months, I would say my, my whole world has changed because I've gone from being an atheist back to believing in God. I've gone, which is like, I never thought that would happen. I've gone, you know, to understanding that we are truly spiritual beings having a human experience which is kind of what yoga teaches, you know, when you read uh, Patanjali and, and, you know, Yogananda, uh, you know, the, the, the thought leaders in yoga. And so uh, it's, it's really, really fascinating learning for me to become my best self. Right. And then, and then on top of that, to, to realize where the humanity really takes over when I'm, when I'm triggered and I'm kind of an asshole. <laughs> well, that, that's the gift of having some awareness is that like when we're with our loved ones and they're irritated and we find ourselves get irritated how do we pause in that moment and say like 
they're just doing the best they can right now. You know, instead of being defensive, how can I see them as, as the best possible being they could be and give them a benefit? You know, the, one of the things I teach about is the seven foundational attachment needs. And one of them, probably the most elevated of them all is not taking life personally. And (laughs) that is so hard for most of us who've had difficulties growing up. You know, we're used to being reactive and defensive against it, but what if we just let life just, somebody says something, we're just like, let it go through us. Like we don't have a stickiness inside. That makes that makes it a lot easier to be in relationship with people. It sure does. And, and I think uh, for me that what you just said is, is really the uh, detachment from outcome. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I've, you know, I've been challenged in this over the past few months in, in different relationships, but, but in order to really start to see that I can't control somebody else, I can only control me. And my reaction to something is it. That's it. That's all I have control over. And allowing other people to be who they are without trying to control their reactions is super freeing for me. Yes. Now, so detachment from outcome is really, really key. So I wanted to kind of end this by if you could just walk us through the waterfall exercise, if that would be okay. Sure. Glad so to. that we could, you know, get get that benefit. Oh, my dog. Did you hear my dog? My oh, dog that's just- so great. <laughs> Let's go through the waterfall breath to sure. kind of find some some inner inner peace. So just by just noticing your breath, don't try to breathe. Just letting the breath come in and just let it out. It's like you're letting the breath come in, reaching the top of the inhalation, and then just let go. <sighs> you do a sigh that's perfect, if you make any kind of sound, totally good. You're letting go of whatever was congested inside. So breathing in, just letting it go. Yeah, letting it go. Breathing in, and then letting it go. Is there any physical, like, like should we, like, shake it, shake things off? Certainly, or? if there's tension, Absolutely. Okay. But one way you also can do it is once you have a little bit of the stress out, a little bit of the tension out, is then just begin to experience what happens with the excellent at the top of the inhalation and the and imagine it being a waterfall. Imagine your breath like invigorating your whole body. Just imagine little sparkles of light, little sparkles of exactly the right temperature, little moments of water just filling you and just soothing you and just providing ease. That's integrating uh, the visual with the experience. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Deirdre. Where can people find you? dfay.com. Right now, with people feeling so triggered, they can go to www.dfay.com backslash safe guide, which will take a 28-page PDF on being safe. Being safe in, in times of trigger. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much again for, for coming on to the Minimum Podcast. My pleasure always, Michelle. It's, it's You're great a to joy. have you here. And oh, thank, thank you. you so much for going in the other day and yeah. the times when you do have to go in. We, we got your back. We're right here with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon, and I wanted to take a moment to share what one of our community members has achieved since she's been working with me. 
Amanda has had an amazing transformation. Amanda was struggling with joint pain, hot flashes, forgetfulness, sleeplessness, weight gain, and an angry mood. In addition, she lost her confidence and self-worth as menopause crept up on her. Since joining the menopause movement membership, Amanda's quality of life has improved in ways no one could have predicted. She has truly transcended the symptoms of menopause and is now living her best life. This is what I want for everyone in the community. Take a listen to Amanda's story. I just want to show you what's possible when you join the community and do the work. Transcendence is available for you too. Now here's Amanda. Hi, my name is Amanda. I am 54 years old and I live in the UK. At this moment in time, I'm in a fairly good place in my life. Recently, I've lost 18 pounds and I feel healthier and more content than I have done in a long time. However, it hasn't always been this way. Back in October 2011, I had an accident which resulted in a serious injury and surgery and subsequently changed my life forever. And over the next few years during my recovery, menopause crept up on me, but I didn't realise what was happening straight away. I started suffering from more joint pain. I went from always being cold to feeling like I was going to internally combust several times a day. I was getting really forgetful. My sleep pattern was terrible. I piled the weight on and looked pregnant and I felt angry all the time. When things were at their worst, I felt incredibly alone and very down. I lost my confidence and self-worth and I felt completely misunderstood and confused about what was happening to me. I received very little support or information from my GP and there was limited information on the internet, but what I really wanted and needed was someone to talk to. The turning point for me was at the beginning of July 2019, when completely by accident, I came across Dr. Michelle Gordon's Facebook page on the menopause movement. At that time, she was doing daily live streams and I started listening to them. I related to a lot of what she was saying and I was really interested in the variety of topics about menopause that she was talking about. The alternative ways to manage menopause symptoms in a more natural way and how your mindset is the key factor to transforming your life more positively. I was also really interested to listen to the other ladies in the group and what they had to say. Ladies who had been or were still suffering from similar symptoms to me. How a lot of them have been able to manage their symptoms much better, and how they have turned their lives around and embraced menopause instead of treating it like a demon. Although nervous about taking a risk to join a group I didn't know, I knew that I couldn't and didn't want to carry on living my life the way I was and feeling the way I was feeling. So I made a decision that I too wanted to learn more about menopause, how to manage my symptoms better, and most importantly, learn more about my mindset and the fact that I needed help with changing my outlook on life in order for me to get it back. Life is nowhere near perfect and some days I still have my struggles. But on the whole, I can honestly say that I am in a much better place than I have been for a long time. And for my down days, I understand better how to manage them so they don't get out of hand. I am now on a journey with a fantastic community of like-minded women, all of whom continue to support each other no matter where we all live. And I no longer feel confused, misunderstood, worthless or alone. For me, this group has been both a lifesaver and a life changer. And most importantly, the one-to-one -one private coaching sessions that are available with Dr. Gordon as part of the membership have been invaluable to me. They provide me with an opportunity to discuss 
more difficult and private issues that I am struggling with and an opportunity to find solutions to address them. Without doubt, I can wholeheartedly say that I owe Dr Gordon and her group everything for showing me how to take my life back and, more importantly, take control of it. Joining her membership has been the best thing that I have ever done. However, this course is not for everyone. If you're looking for a quick fix that doesn't cost you any time, money or effort, then this is not the group for you. But if you're in a similar situation to how I was not that long ago, feeling desperate and at the end of your tether, but are willing to invest in your own future happiness and peace of mind, but are unsure as to what to do, ask questions and talk to Dr. Gordon. And if you choose to take that leap of faith, you won't regret it, because who wouldn't want to take their life back if they had the chance? If you are feeling like Amanda, you're not alone. There is help for you in the Menopause Movement membership. I want to help you transcend your symptoms and live your best life. To discover how you can become a part of this life-changing community, go to menopausemovement.com. Thank you.